Traveler Podcast, brought to you by Emerger Strategies. I'm your host, Rick Crawford. In this episode, I chat with Costa Sunglasses Fly Community Leader, Peter Vandergrift. We discuss everything from water pollution, Costa's Kick Plastic campaign, as well as some helpful, sustainable business tips. Hope you enjoy. I'll just start out with, um, Peter, if you could just tell me a little bit more about yourself and how you got involved with with Costa and then just your your story. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think it's, uh, it could, it could be looked on as a success story or cautionary tale. Uh, (laughs) folks could be the judge. Uh, a cautionary tale because I've spent my entire career in the fishing industry. Um, I uh, studied writing at the University of Montana uh, here in Missoula, and I was able to put myself through school uh, by guiding in Alaska, actually, for uh, Dave Eggdorf, who is Camille Eggdorf's father. And uh, so I knew Camille Eggdorf from the time she was, uh, you know, really young, four or five years old. Um, she used to come up to the camp uh, for a week in the summer and uh, we were all excited to have her come up because there was a section in front of, and this was an all-fly fishing, you know, uh, bush camp. It was me and two other guides. And um, there was a, a little area right in front of the Nushigat camp where we would throw food scraps. And the fish would eat these food scraps. And so we'd have these, like, pet fish. And we didn't let anyone fish for them. Um, and they grew to be you know, 10 plus pounds. And the only person we, that was allowed to fish there was Camille. So, you know, we were, we were excited to have, you know, uh, well, for one is to have the excitement of a kid in camp, but also uh, just to have someone that we could uh, put on these giant fish that we've been looking at and naming for uh, the season. Um, but from there, uh, I started guiding in, uh, in Montana um, and, uh, I guided and outfitted in total, uh, 18 years. And, uh, so, so had quite a career shoveling water and, uh, loved it, uh, loved connecting with people. Um, you know, the fishing obviously, uh, was, was part of it, but I really did love connecting with people and, you know, everyone kind of grouses about their, you know, experiences with bad clients, this, that, and the other. And I would say, you know, that was very, very, very rare. Um, most people, um, I think because of the nature of our sport, who get into it, even even new folks, um, were really pleasant, and we just had great times. And many of them are, are still contacts and friends to this day. Um, you know, as as... I started getting a family and started getting a little bit older and, uh, my joints and back, you know, really started acting up. Uh, I realized that, you know, I was going to have to figure out a way to transition from, you know, guiding a hundred to 200 days a year, uh, to something else. And, uh, since I, I studied writing in school, I started writing at my local newspaper. Uh, at that time I was in Livingston, Montana and I wrote for the, uh, Livingston Enterprise, and it was a super fun job. Of course, it was right about the time 
at the bottom was falling out of newspapers across the country. Um, and it was a really, I loved the job. You know, I still kind of say uh, half jokingly that it was my favorite job ever that didn't pay anything. Um, <laughs> but, but they were good. It was a it was a it was a daily paper five days a week. And at that point, I had my own outfitter business. So in the summertime, uh, I had Fridays. I would work four days a week, and I had other guides on the river working for my company. And then I would file my Friday story on Thursday. Um, so then I would guide three days and, and, you know, so that went on for a couple of years, but the reality is in the summertime, um, I, I worked seven days a week, you know, uh, pretty much whenever it was fishing, I was working all the time and that wasn't really conducive to a great home life. Um, and so I was actually reading, my wife was actually, Raluca was reading the paper, uh, our, our opposing paper, the Bozeman Chronicle. Um, just how we always, I always read all the papers in Montana just to see what everyone was up to. And she found an ad, uh, for Sims fishing products. And so I called up and asked about that, that position. She said, you know, this sounds exactly like you. They want someone who's, you know, got a lot of, uh, a lot of time with guides and outfitters and really understands that business has got writing skills and good interpersonal and all this stuff. And, um, so uh I, I called a friend of mine that worked there and uh she said, Oh yeah, you know, it closes today, it's a great job. We just you know, we, we just figured out that this is something that we needed and uh it was to run their entire uh pro staff there, their guide program, uh and really invent it and redo it. And uh so I applied to that job and went down the road of getting a job at Sims, which took a an awful long time. As you can imagine, there were you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of applicants. And, uh, I was fortunate enough to sort of weave my way through that somehow and, uh, and get that job. Um, and had a great time working at Sims and have many dear friends that, uh, still work for that company in Bozeman, Montana and was super proud that I was part of a company that, um, still manufactured products in the U.S. You know, if I have a chance to buy something that's made and hasn't had to travel and is, uh, you know, made out of sustainable products. And especially if it's made in the United States, that's, uh, the purchasing decision that I personally believe in. So, yeah. uh, both companies that I've worked for, uh, have had those options. Um, you know, so Costa, uh, approached me about, uh, you know, a, a job and there were at that point, there were very few companies I would have left, uh, Sims for. I mean, that's kind of a pinnacle, uh, you know, in the fly fishing industry is, is some fishing products in a lot of ways. So there were only a few that I would consider. Costa was a number one. Um, and, and a lot of that really, Rick, was because of what they were doing, uh, you know, with, with conservation that they were, they, and, and now, you know, it's continuing on that we really feel like we lead not only our industry, the, the fly fishing industry, but Costa is much bigger than that. And we really lead the sunglass industry in conservation. Um, you know, I don't think that you, you know, uh, put to the test anyone could name anything another sunglass company is doing for, uh, you know, uh, for conservation or for the planet. And, uh, so, so being able to do that and, and make the switch and, you know, work remotely and work with some really talented people 
um, and in a way, you know, marketing in a way that I truly believe in, um, I, I think has been, you know, a really a, a just a big win for me. And uh, it's something, you know, for example, uh, we sponsor uh, what's called the Five Rivers uh, Trout Unlimited Coast of Five Rivers program, which is a program where we helped uh, Trout Unlimited identify a need, uh, which is recruitment of young anglers, young conservationists. Um, and we were able to help them put together a palpable program that really engages young anglers. So the idea is we help uh, Trout Unlimited put college camp, uh, uh, fishing clubs on college campuses and uh, on insight on how to, how, how to help those clubs um, you know, kind of r- recruit other uh, other college folks to you know get involved in fly fishing from folks that have done it before to folks that have done it after. Anyway, you know, what are what are some of the, the environmental threats that you see um, to fisheries or, or around the world that are of a, of a major concern to you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I think that uh, uh, you know, uh, I mean, certainly polluted waterways. Um, you know, and sort of the, that threat, I, I, you know, I, I was telling you that I worked up on the Nushidak River. I mean, that's in the shadow of the pebble mine, right? So, um, you know, I think that that's something that, that, you know, strikes a chord with me, is near and dear to my heart, you know. But one thing, you know, one thing I'd like to say about that is, like, you know, folks are saying, oh, it's just going on and on and on. But I, I think that we have to look at, you know, at its the way that Pebble Mine has galvanized our industry to be really remarkable, right? Because this yeah. isn't a place that I'm one of the few people who who's able to actually see it, right? Like who was there, who's who's has seen the fishery, who spent time there, who who really knows it. Yet, you know, anglers from uh, who whom you know know they'll never ever ever get there have step to the forefront to uh, say, you know what, this is a pristine place and it's worth more than oil. Even if I never see it, just knowing that wild places are out there uh, is important to me. And I think that that's a real, you know, hats off to uh, Scott Head at, at Alaska Sportsman Alliance and others who have, you know, been at the forefront of that cause and really, you know, really never given up the fight. But even more so, uh, you know, brought it to our attention so that that we're able to, you know, galvanize as an industry and say, no, unequivocally, we don't want this thing. This is not a good move. Um, so I think there's things like that. I think there's the uh, uh, the mine at the headwaters of, you know, Smith Creek, which is another one that I spent a lot of time on, Smith River in Montana. And... Um, you know, I, I do think that the biggest threats are uh, are 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 really from extractive industry um, kind of versus clean water. You know, I think it, it's it's as easy as that. And I mean, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I drive a car. Uh, I live in a, a stick home. Um, I, you know, I know that many of the compounds and the cell phones we're talking from come from mines. So. You know, but but I do think that there's a responsible way to do it, and uh, you know I I also 
think that there has to be, you know, there has to be as as larger of risk mitigation as we possibly can, can find. And I also think that it's our duty to look at alternatives. Uh, you know, to I mean, I, I think that we're we're hung up on fossil fuels, and uh, you know, I, I think that we're finally starting to shake loose. Um, and the irony is that the way that we shake loose from fossil fuels is by a sort of, you know, megalomaniac uh, uh, business person saying, I want to start this other business. And I'm talking about Elon Musk and Tesla. And like, you know, I mean, it, it is funny that, that that's the guy that's going to make it happen because I, I, you know, I don't have anything against him or whatnot, but just seeing the way that he approaches things is, is very, very brash, very, uh, very businesslike. And, you know, it, it's something like that that moves the needle rather than, you know, the hope would be that, that we could do that, um, on a, from a, uh, a policy side. Um, anyway, sorry, I'm digressing. Did that, did that, <laughs> I, I, I would say, that one. That's what this is all about. We're just, we're just having a conversation, so I'm we're uh, all for it. <laughs> I mean, the, the other thing that I would say is, uh, you know, is that our our things are changing in the West as far as, I mean, forest fires, certainly we see that. But, you know, our water temperatures, I mean, we see these closures on our rivers now. And, uh, I mean, it it might be anecdotal, but, I mean, when we see it happen year after year that the rivers just get warmer and warmer. And in Missoula, you know, uh, my hometown especially is – you see these rivers, the the Clark Fork and the Bitterroot and the Blackfoot, you know, we're a lower elevation here. Um, you know, we're 3,000 feet, not 9,000 feet. So these these rivers as, you know, today, I think it's going to be 107 degrees here, they're saying. Like, yeah. Wow. Wow. So these rivers, they get very, very warm. They're warmer earlier. And I just know the way that we used to, from a, from a uh, from a guide perspective, the way that we used to kind of sell the season, like, oh, when should I come? You know, when way back when, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, it used to be, oh, come in like late July or August. Now it's like, don't come in August, don't come in late July, come in June. Well, June used to be runoff. Now runoff's more like May, if there is a runoff. And, um, you know, by the time you get to July 4th, you, it, the waters are starting to warm. Sometimes, I mean, many years, the big hole's already been closed, and the Bitterroot follows, the Blackfoot follows. And, uh, you know, I think that that's a real, a real concern with these rivers just getting warmer and warmer and warmer. Um, now, on the flip side of that, you know, the, the catch and release mentality in the West is, is wonderful, right? right. Um, fly fishermen just don't keep trout. Um, I never see it. Rarely, rarely do I even see spin fishermen keeping trout. And part of that's probably because there, you know, there's very few spin fishermen outside of lakes in Montana. I mean, you see a few here and there, but, you know, folks really gravitate towards fly fishing. I think because for catching trout, it's the best tool for the job. So anyone who really gets into fishing uh, for trout is going to get into fly fishing.
Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, and, and everything that that you just mentioned, you know, I I completely agree. I mean, and and you're you're seeing it everywhere. You know, it's um, it's the warmer water t- warmer water temperatures um, that are affecting coal, all cold water species. Water warmer water temperatures mm-hmm. are increasing that algal bloom. So it, 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 yeah. it, it's it's now becoming you know visible. It's not some abstract. Thing that hey the planet's warming like oh yeah you know that's that's weather well you know that's the difference between weather and climate and we're starting to actually yeah. you know, it, it, it's not um, hey I can't see a greenhouse gas emission it's, well I can see an algal bloom that's running the coastline of Florida yeah <laughs> yeah yeah. <laughs> this, this is cool. yeah no for sure and that's you know I mean what captains for clean water uh, is 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 reminding us every day with their Instagram is how, how bad it actually is in that it's, this isn't an abstract. This is a, a necessity and, you know, and, and that they, that they have a solution and, and, you know, it, and probably the political will to get it done. Of course, it also needs the political money um, or money to get it done. And, uh, and, and also, you know, it's a thing that, that the the price tag on that is not just to get the reservoirs built and the and the flows changed. It's it's about managing it in perpetuity. And I think that's something that really scares uh some politicians is just having to pay for management in perpetuity. But um in my and you know um you know I I I I ask very little of my government. Um I, I want them to make sure our citizenry is safe. Um, and that includes the environment and healthy, um, you know, so, uh, and educated, I guess that would be the other one, you know, so yeah, the, the, the rest of it, we, we could probably accomplish on our own, but those three things are really, you know, the rest of it, like, um, you know, they don't, they don't need to be, be my moral police, especially if they educate me, um, we should all be fine. (laughs) Um, anyway, now I got political, so I'll. (laughs) <laughs> well, it's, it's okay. I mean, you know, to to, to sort of summarize that, I, I think is that you know, look, there's there's nothing political about a healthy environment. You know, we all need clean water, and air, and clean water, and that's just that, that that's an American birthright that I think yeah. due to um, an increase in in population and and the, and you know that's not going to stop. Um, now we really have to start uh, paying attention to. Um, managing the resources, as you said, in, in perpetuity, so that they are there, um, yeah. and that, so that they don't continue to be degraded and, and make decisions, um, and at a policy level to, to enable that to happen. Yeah, yeah, for um, sure. Okay, well, um, we'll we'll sh- shift gears a, a little bit. Um, so you know, Costa needs no no introduction, um, but. I'm, I know that y'all have started this kick plastic campaign, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, I think it has done so much for um, creating or educating and creating more awareness about the plastic pollution problem. And I think because of Costa's reach in terms of, you know, just how, you know, how many people know the brand Costa and, you know, the amount of social media followers it has and, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's really been a, a, a real positive 
um, movement just in, in making people more aware of, of what's happening. Um, but I'm, what I don't know is, um, you know, how did, how did that all, how did, did that get started? I'm, I'm just curious yeah. to, to hear a little yeah, bit more. Yeah. Sure. I'd, l- I'd love to talk about that. I mean, it's been something that, you know, I've been very, uh, very involved in and, uh, you know, I think, um, just to kind of to give a little backstory on on Costa, just kind of the the boilerplate, you know, who we are. Uh, we were formed in Ormond Beach in 1983 by four offshore fishermen, um, and the, the whole goal of those guys, and, and you know, the Great American Story started out of a garage, um, you know, is that they really felt that the polarized sunglasses that were on the market at the time were not uh, of a very high quality, and they thought that they could do a better job, and, and they did. And uh, it's one of the reasons that we're we're so strong in fishing. Everything at the company has been really focused on making the best, uh, uh, you know, eyewear uh, for fishermen, and that's just grown into this monster where it's just make the best eyewear. Period. Um, but but one of the things I think that the reason I bring that up is that we've always had um, you know, uh, uh, three pillars, which are explore, perform, protect. And our protect pillar is really strong. And it's really the one we're talking about a lot here, but it's, uh, you know, it, it, um, uh, it really has inspired us to always be deeply involved in conservation, whether it's, uh, with all of the groups that we partner with, like Bill Fish Foundation, CCA, Trout Unlimited, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, but we also have these these initiatives that we start internally. Um, so you know, the kick plastic really came from some of our work with uh, some of our, our exploration partners, uh, namely OSearch, which are uh, the folks that go around and tag great white sharks uh, around the world and have the shark tracker, and they're trying to really, uh, you know, one of their one of their deep missions is to find where male and female sharks intersect um, and where young sharks uh, grow up so that they could uh, they could help protect these areas because having that apex predator uh, is a really important part of the entire ecosystem of the ocean. But in their exploration, they just were, no matter where they were at the end of the world, they were coming across mountains of, of plastic trash. I mean, just keeps of it, and so we started to look into it and started to contact folks that knew a little bit more, like uh, like Five Gyres Institute, which is all about these uh, 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 ocean plastics. So we, uh, we, we said, man, this is something that people need to know about. Why don't we tell this story? And so we, we started down the road of, uh, of kind of an awareness campaign, and um, – it was really interesting because, you know, we got all this creative together and then we sort of looked at it and, and um, you know, we we internally said, well, you know, we need to clean up our own act before we, we go out there and preach. Like, let's let's take a look at our, our poli- you know, our procedures and whatnot. And one of the big changes that we made internally was we changed all of our frames from uh, petroleum-based, you know, petroleum-based plastic frame to a bioresin frame. So the bioresin is made out of uh, castor seed oil. So, I mean, basically you take 
ca- uh, caster plant, which can be planted as a cover crop, and it's ground down, and and uh, so it's it's a green material, and um, so this bioresin was was a huge undertaking by us uh, to kind of, in some ways, put our, our money where our mouth is, and and you know also just that, you know we we above all else want to make sure that we're uh, we're authentic with everything that we do. So, um, so that was one thing that we did. We also looked at our, our packaging procedures, um, you know, how we wrapped our pallets. We used to wrap our pallets in plastic. We now use, uh, these kind of reusable, uh, mesh and buckle systems. And we're constantly looking at ways to, uh, you know, improve, uh, improve our use of sustainable products as well as, um, you know, as well as to lower our carbon footprint. So it's good. It's inspiring, really, to, that we'll go to those links. So anyhow, so we started to look at kick plastic, and we uh, we did some messaging around a couple of uh, a couple of videos, and that was kind of our first first delve into it. And we got involved deeply with Five Gyres and uh, with Leah Talabella, who we since then brought on as our kick plastic community leader. So basically, it's her job to look internally and externally at all the things Costa can and and and, and could do um, with uh, with that in mind. Um, so uh, I sort of got involved because of my experience as a as a guide and outfitter where I created mountains of plastic water bottles and uh Said, you know, this is a this is an easy way for us to make an impact. Is um, you know, I knew when I was guiding that I was throwing away, even if I was recycling them. You know, I was using a lot of single use plastic water bottles, and it kind of killed me. Um, you know, and I personally would always use my own water bottle, but there was just um, I, I was you know I like to say that I was lazy. Um, I was broke. And I was disorganized uh, right. as a guide. And uh, so those things just, I never solved it. And I'm in the position now where, where I'm really able to help folks just like myself solve it, right? Like, yeah. here's a system you can use. And even more than that, here's here's a way that you can get them at discounted prices. And it's also just telling the story of, look, if you invest in these things, it will save you money. Um, it's not like you're rolling in it after a guide season. You know, most folks, uh, uh, have to have another job or, um, you know, live, live very meagerly, uh, to make it from one guide season to the next. So, uh, you know, any, any few dollars in their pocket helps. And I, and I know this. So that was something that I had some expertise on and could really, uh, you know, help make that change. Um, and then beyond that, just, just show that it's the right thing to do. Uh, it, you know, so in that process, we've worked with, you know, dozens of lodges, uh, and some people were already doing this, right? And and that's great. And and you know, so as we move forward with it, what we want to do is just showcase everyone who's doing it. You know, and I really believe that we're reaching that tipping point where if you're not doing it you know, your your peers are going to start to call you out. And that's a good place to to, to be, right? Um, instead of, 
And what I've told people is like, hey, you can you could be a leader in this space or you can wait till it happens and begrudgingly go along. Like, which one would you rather be? Wouldn't you rather be, you know, in it on the on the front end rather than, you know, being drug along by it? And, you know, one of the things that we set out to prove is that we could do it anywhere. So, uh, you know, I think one of the big projects we did was with uh, World Cast Anglers in Jackson. One of the reasons this was an important project to do is, well, A, Mike Dawes bought in straight away. You know, he'd been seeing it. He he was he was over it. And, I mean, so much so that at his guide meeting that year that, that we rolled the thing out, he said, look, we're doing this. And if you don't want to do it, find somewhere else to work, right? So, I mean, really, really definitive statement there. And I thought that was super admirable. And no one had a problem with it. You know, everyone was excited about it. And then, you know, revisiting them two years later, uh, you know, they've had very, very little pushback. They said it's been extraordinary how people have not only not pushed back, but embraced it in their own life. And the idea there is that, you know, guides are, I mean, just from my own experience, you know, in a lot of ways, we served a lot of roles for for our clients, you know, not just fish finder. I mean, they're entrusting you with their vacation time, the most precious time they have. You're, you're a, definitely a hero-like figure to them. Like you're living this lifestyle and you know where the fish are and you're doing every day what they're doing on their vacation. And it's, it's a very, uh, you know, myopic look for sure. But nonetheless, you, you have incredible sway over these people. You know, they, call you to ask advice on rods and reels and whatnot. And if you're able to show them, hey, here's a change that I've made in my business. Here's something you should think about changing in your life and have them go out there and, you know, they're at their, they're at their job and they have the water bottle that, that you gave to them or maybe they bought their own um, and, and they're drinking out of it and somebody asks them about it and they say, you know, I don't drink out of plastic water bottles because – this great guide, uh, you know, in Montana showed me that, that I could do this and it's really changed my life. And I think it's, it's good for the planet. I mean, that's the type of spread messaging that, you know, that, that's, that's super effective. And w- one of the things that I think that I'm really proud of is like Costas doesn't, <laughs> we've done nothing but spend money on this. We don't sell water bottles. Uh, we point everybody to our friends at Yeti and Clean Canteen. Um, and really anywhere. Uh, so it's all really just because we think it's, it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, we've worked with CCA to do trash pickup events in the name of kick plastic. I see it pop up everywhere. And one of the things we were just ahead of the curve on it. Um, once we started rolling it out within a year to 18 months, it hit the news waves. And now you can't, you know, you, you can't read a newspaper without seeing a plastic pollution story. And, you know, for me, and I know I'm going on and on, but for me, what I just kind of always think back to, um, you know, a time on Amberger's K where I was, I had an extra day and I thought I would, you know, take a little golf cart and drive out and try to catch some bonefish. And I got to this secluded corner and, I'm looking out at tailing fish on this flat and I start to wade into the water and I have to kind of wade through some sargasso weed. And I look down and I just see 
all of the plastic intertwined with this grass. And I'm at the, I mean, just tons and tons and tons of it. And I look down the beach and I, I just, I just got sick to my stomach. I, I, it was the moment where I was like, what the hell are we doing to ourselves? Um, I mean, I'm a firm believer that the planet's going to be just fine. Um, I just am unsure whether human beings will still be on it. So, well, well I mean, um, that, 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 that's it. You know, I mean, the, yeah. the, I, I can guarantee you that the world will continue spinning. Um, but, you know, <laughs> look, yeah. we may go the way of the dinosaur for it. Yeah. We're not careful. That's right. That's exactly right. So anyway, that's a that's sort of a long long winded answer of how we how Costa got into it, and you know how how I personally sort of interface with it and uh, try to preach the good word and hook people up all the time with uh, you know we have a we have a website it's kickplastic.org and any guide um, or lodge. Uh, you know, who wants to, to get involved can go to kickplastic.org. You get a lot of information, uh, some boilerplate stuff that, that you can share with your clients about it. Um, you know, you get a little bit of insight on how other people have solved the problem in their, in their outfitting business or their lodge. And, uh, if you click the link that says, do you make your living on the water? Um, that'll take you right to a page that has, uh, three options for water bottles and you can uh, put in your contact information there. And that goes directly to companies that are making water bottles that give you, you know, extraordinarily good deals to get into your own, uh, your own water bottles. Yeah. I went to the website and um, I got the new ones made out of recycled uh, fishing, fishing nets. nets. Yes. Which are killer. And I'd, I'd love to get oh. Get your take on on those, but it, it's oh, such a great concept. It's it, it's it's just you know putting your you talk about authenticity. You know that's as authentic as as it gets. So I'd love to you know um, tell me a little bit more about that. Uh, absolutely. I mean, you know, again, it's just sort of uh, you know I'm beaming with pride over over my company, and it's it's not often you get to do that. You know, time and time again, but. Uh, so this is our Untangled collection, and um, so what what we did is we partnered with uh, a company called Boreo, and Boreo is basically three surfers from California who had this idea. Um, it's a ten shed venture, so that's the venture cap, uh, the, the venture capital company uh, from Patagonia, right? So that that helps to fund startup businesses that have a, a, a positive impact on the planet. And basically, the guys from Boreo had been going down to South America and Chile in particular and working with commercial fishermen to buy their nylon nets. So these are big fishing trawlers. And what, what had been happening is the fishing trawlers, when those nets, you know, either became too tangled or got holes in them or reached the end of life, there were, there were three ways that they would get rid of them. Most of them would cut the net loose out in the ocean um, because that was kind of the easiest way to to get rid of them. You know, they didn't have to haul them off to a uh, to a dump, or they would burn them on the beach, which is you know again not a great way. But but when they cut them loose, they became uh, these ghost nets, and these ghost nets just kind of swept through the ocean, killing indiscriminately. I mean, they're awful, um, and there are an awful lot of the the 
ocean plastic. Uh, you know, I think they're like 15% of all of the ocean plastic are these, these discarded fishing nets. So, um, what Boreo did, which it was really commendable, is instead of, you know, demonizing the commercial fishermen, they engaged with them and they said, hey, you can be part of a solution here and we'll pay you for your nets. All you need to do is when they're at the end of the life, you bring them in, we'll pay you, you know, per tonnage on these nylon nets. And, and so that's what they did. And they would take these nets and turn these nets into little pellets, little nylon pellets. And then we, our design team took those nylon pellets and made a mold and we made these glasses, the untangled collection uh, after them. And the other thing that's cool about them is on the, uh, on the nose piece, uh, as well as on the arms, uh, they, we use Plus Foam, and Plus Foam's another company. And what they do is they take uh, uh, they take foam that's small pieces of foam that can't be used in the manufacturing process. So, like you're making flip flops, and you have foam flip flops, and all of the discarded pieces, you know, typically would be thrown out. Well, they they take these and then they make other things with them. So um, that Plus Foam is put on there as well. We only use our glass, so that's made with, you know, um, with minerals. So that's another thing that's, uh, that's totally, um, uh, you know, uh, is totally biodegradable. Um, so, you know, uh, and, and the cases for them are actually um, the Warnware cases from Patagonia made those for us. So this is, uh, uh, you know, uh, either scraps or uh, return product that they make our, our uh, sunglass cases out of those. So uh, it's the only sunglass ever made that's uh, net positive, uh, which we're really proud of that. And at the end of life, you can hand those back in. You're done with them. You know, uh, you've moved on. They're too scratched, whatever the case may be. You send them back, and we can repurpose every single piece of that product. And that's awesome. it's really, I mean, it, it's... And, you know, it, it, again, it was a big risk, but, you know, our patronage just loves that stuff, right? I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I think this, this flows right into, you know, why, why does Coast do this? And I think there's a, a couple of, couple of things there, but, uh, yeah, I mean, people, people love it. I love it. I'm proud to wear them. Um, you know, and I'm proud to tell the story. Yeah. And that, and, and so what, so I, I did not know those additional features, like the um, the plus foam scraps from Warmware. So you know, um, you know, scraps from from Patagonia clothing that are making cases, and then uh, being able to send them back. And so that is just for if, if, any, if anyone's listening to this, um, <laughs> that is uh, what. Called, you know, it's basically closed loop or what's now being called a circular economy so that yeah. you don't make things to be discarded. They're yeah. set out from the design to be, you know, you're, you're solving a problem, which is discarded fishing. Yeah. Um, then you're taking that material, so you're recycling it, making that into to new product. Uh, but then you're taking what's called pre-consumer recycled content, um, such as this plus foam and um, scraps to, to make that, and then you're able to then take your product back. So the the company, that being Coast in this example, um, is taking complete responsibility for their product, um, and it's good for the consumer as well. So that's 
That's awesome. And, and, and kudos, uh, kudos there. Yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, I, again, something that's really, you know, w- one of the reasons, like, like I said, I'm proud to work for this company. So there's, there's a, a whole host of them, but that's one for sure. Um, awesome. Well, um, but, you know, I see it with, with things that I do and, um, I'm curious to know, um, you know, in case there's any other companies listening or business owners, um, did y'all receive any backlash from, hey, when we went, you know, with this kick classic and, um, you know, if so, what advice would you have for, um, other companies who are, would, would like to make that type of statement, but are maybe scared because they don't want to alienate any of their customers. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you what. Uh, well, uh, I, I guess you know maybe to take that into an even even kind of broader topic, which is, you know, why why is a company would you want to do it anyway? Uh, you know, these these things are. I mean, like the kick plastic thing. These these things are, you know costs us a lot of money and a lot of marketing effort and a lot of man hours and, um, and, and those sorts of things. But, you know, I I think there's the why, and then there's the, the, how, you know, how do you deal with the haters? Um, and and I'll start with the, the why, um, you know, I, I think from a business perspective, um, you know, we know that, the younger generation and, and Coast is really strong in the 18 to 36 year old range. Um, you know, I think we do a really good job. And one of those is because we were on the forefront of digital marketing. And like you said, we have giant followers there. Um, and, and what that really translates into is like, we kind of have our own, I mean, think of it this way. We have our own TV station, right? Like it's, we have Costa channels and people tune in in the millions to, see little snippets of, you know, what we're doing and the people that we associate with, what they're doing, some cool imagery, little stories, um, you know, and, and all those things. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we do a little research into, you know, what, what is a, what's an 18 year old, 19 year old, 25 year old's life like? And, you know, what are they looking for in the companies that, that they purchase from? And what we found out, you know, I, I think, I think millennials, we're not even talking millennials, we're talking younger than millennials, but they get this bad rap. Ah, they're all about themselves. Ah, they're lazy. They, they only engage on the phone and, you know, via text or social. And I think what we found out was that that's a, that's a really, um, it's a, it's a, that, that is really boiling. So that if you look at, at, at that generation that way, you're sort of missing the boat. They're very creative. Um, they, they, they've been exposed to so much more than, than at least I, I was when I was a kid. So, or when I was a, a teenager, 20 year old. So they, they, they're very skeptical of the world. Um, and, but they're also, they, they, they've also sort of progressed on and it, it is more about experience for them than money. And I think that's really important to note that they've shifted away from this drive for the only way that, that you can show your worth in the world is by how much money you have. Um, so I think that that's a, that's, that's a really heartening thing. Um, 
The yeah. other thing, you know, just from a business perspective, you know, we also know that they do an awful lot of internet research um, on the products they choose. And we also know that when they look at choosing choosing a product, the number one thing they look at is what that brand stands for. You know, what they've done in a conservation sense uh, is is really, really important to their purchasing decision. So, you know, I think that right there, if someone is very strategically business-minded, and especially I would say in the fly fishing industry, you know, a lot of folks have to be because there's, you know, there's, there's small companies and the industry is not gigantic. So everything has to be very strategic. And, um, and so I think that people sometimes use that as a reason not to give big to conservation or get involved. Um, so, I mean, what I would say is from a business sense, uh, it really, 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 I mean, there, that more people aren't spending their marketing dollars or spending their, you know, their outreach dollars uh, working on conservation projects um, it is baffling to me because it works. Right. Um, we've seen it at Costa, and I, it's not why we did it, but it's certainly a, a great reason for us to continue to be able to do it. You know, I mean, that's the other thing. Like, you want to be able to do it sustained year after year after year, and we've seen it be so effective that it, it lets us do it greater and greater and greater. And one of the things that I would always suggest to a company is, and I think the, the fatal flaw with, um, you know, with kind of uh, uh, charitable giving is just stroking a check and stepping back. We never do that at Costa. We engage. We say, hey, we're not going to be a sponsor. We're going to be a partner. So, like, with um, – Trout Unlimited, instead of just, you know, just saying, here you go, go do your thing. It's, hey, we have things that we can help you with. So not only are we going to give you, you know, uh, 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 give you this this thing, you know, this money, we're also going to engage to make sure that our expertise are utilized. And then, you know, the conservation organization is getting more because they're getting, you know, our thought power, our brain power, and those channels to help tell that story. Um, yeah. And we do that with every single um, conservation group that we work with. We we want to, you know, like uh, Bonefish Tarpon Trust Project Permit. You know, that's something that we came to the forefront and said, hey, you all need to, to also focus on this forgotten fish, the permit, which is, you know, one of the most intriguing fish to follow. We don't, we don't know if the fish – on the wrecks are the same ones that are on the flats. We don't know where they spawn. We don't know the migration patterns. And so when we got involved, we said, okay, that'll be our project and we'll help you out with that any way we can. Um, you know, so I, I think that, the, that, you know, O-Search would be another one. Um, IndieFly, which is uh, uh, one that I work very closely with and I'm on the board of and I'm super proud of a, this, this young uh, organization that, basically was born out of a project we did in Guyana where some explorers that we knew were down there and said, hey, there's a village way in the wilderness. They've decided to take a tact where they're trying to do eco-lodges, but they're, they really don't understand, like, how to market and how to get people there and what they have. And there's a, you know, outstanding arapaima fishery there, um, and, you know, they, they really need your help. 
So we went in there and we helped them kind of dial in their uh, their lodge and helped them, um, you know, figure out how to fly fish and how to bring people bring people, you know, uh, in there. And what I mean, really, the whole the whole process is about indigenously owned fishing lodges and that the places where um, you know impoverished people can use this resource. Um, in order to have generational wealth uh, in their village, as well as, I mean, I think some of the greatest stories from Rewa are really surrounding how uh, no one there has to go and cut trees down anymore or work in these awful open open pit gold mines, right? And the, the village has been able to uh, protect 200 square miles of virgin rainforest, right? And that's all because of, of, of efforts of IndyFly helping them develop their, uh, their fly fishing catch and release business there. Um, so anyway, so IndyFly takes that model and it, it tries to, it's trying to replicate it in other places around the world and domestically. And there's a number of other projects that are, are in the works, but they're slow burn projects. They're expensive. Um, but I mean, I think to, to circle this back around why a brand would do this. So, you know, Costa, Costa got involved in this and, you know, Steve Ranella from Meat Eaters, uh, from that show, he ended up going down and fishing in the jungle with, uh, with Roven Alvin, the head guide there. And, um, he was recently, um, on the Joe Rogan podcast talking about that experience. And he talked about, um, he, he, you know, he talked about business responsibility. So he said, Hey, you know, this whole thing wouldn't have happened without the foresight of a business, you know, Costa. Yeah. Costa, you know, the sunglass company, they went down and he talked about Costa for 10 minutes, 95 million people downloaded that episode and listened to it. Right. So, if that's not a marketing win, then I don't know what is, right? So, so you know, anyone who's like, ah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Pete's talking a good game, but what are the real things? Like, those are the real things right there because, you know, that's that's someone now is like, wow, that's really cool. So, you know, you hope that that person, you know, from a business perspective, you hope that person goes into a retailer and, like, looks at a Maui gym, looks at a Smith, and looks at a Costa and says, you know what? These guys are doing the right thing and I like their product. Um, you know, I'm going to try them and, and really our, <laughs> the, the best thing about Coast is once someone wears our product, they're, they're rarely going to leave it. It's such a great product and we're really blessed in, in having that. Um, you can't do the rest of the stuff if your product's junk. So yeah. Uh, anyhow, I, did, did that answer? Your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 you know, when when you're really a purpose-driven brand and you know that you're using your business to solve social and environmental problems and you're genuine, um, the, the rest of it sort of takes care of itself. Um, and you have people like um, Stephen Rinella who will go on a podcast and talk about it. And then, then you have brand evangelists. And that's sort of the, you know, the, that's what everyone's after. <laughs> you, you, you want other people telling people about how great your product is. Um, and also, and also understanding why and why they, why they believe that. So, um, 
that that's sort of the you know that that's really the the sweet spot and um you know coast has really done done a great job with that um thank you i mean it's 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 all i mean for for larger companies too i think that it also just bleeds into your workforce of i mean if your workforce isn't uh evangelical about you know about who they work for um you know i mean you've heard me say a number of times that i'm proud of i mean there there's you know it's a small percentage of people that would say they're proud of the company they work for you know and so if you're able to 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 do that um i think that you've already created a you know a, a work environment that and that helps you with recruiting i mean yeah, yeah. Which goes into just like you know when you, when you talk about sustainable business models, you know that's one of the benefits is attracting and retaining talent. You know, you yeah. can more people want to work. A couple of things: people want to work for brands that align with their own values, and they want to buy from brands that align with their own values. And when you find that's people who are, um, who are engaged and, and looking for, hey, I want to, as you mentioned, uh, this next generation coming up, doing all the product research and want to support those brands. And it's a, it's a, it's a home run and it's a missed opportunity for, for companies that are not doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that the, this young generation is brand aware. They're, they more want to tell the story of the company. I mean, so they're, they're, uh, you know, their alignment is really evangelical. Uh, like, as you said, I think that's a great word for it. Like, you know, we we really talk about our customers as, as being in the Costa Tribe, and we see it so much. I mean, uh, I'm at a lot of events throughout the year, and I I just can't tell you how many times it's happened where, just, you know, someone, a, a Costa fan will come up, and they'll – not only will they tell us the story about how they – you know, love their products so much and they love that we're doing this and love that we're doing that. They'll stand around the booth and when someone's looking at the sunglasses, they'll come up and they'll start engaging with them and say, you should buy these and here's why, right? Yeah. And I mean, just having those folks out there, um, you know, it, it's created an, a, a massive, uh, affinity for our brand. Um, and, and that's, that's always nice, you know, I mean, that's, 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 that's a fantastic uh, way to be, and and you know, and 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 I think uh, you know you had uh, mentioned something earlier about you know uh, how, how do you deal with your haters or how do you uh, uh, cope with you know alienating um, part of your constituency, and I would say, especially when it comes to clean water and fishing and. Um, you know, uh, in the environment, I, I don't, I really don't think there's many people out there that are like, ah, I think we should just, you know, degrade the environment. I mean, I think mostly, especially if people are fishing, they want to be in clean water. Um, they want to have good fish populations. And I, I don't, I wouldn't worry about alienating. You will get some wackadoodles online that'll, you know, kind of come after you as, as we have. And, um, you know, I just think you have to. You know, there's a great book that I, I think really spells out, a, you know, a, a way to think about your, um, you know, those people that are 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 coming after you. It's called, you know, hug your haters, and uh, it's a, I think it's a great business book when you're talking about dealing with people, especially in the digital space these days. And a lot of times they're going to be caustic, and there's some. <laughs> 
I mean, there's some psychological reasons why people do this. And if, if you can identify these kind of archetypes online, you can, you can kind of give them what you want. And then you can, you can easily, it's really funny because they'll easily turn to your side. They just, it's kind of like they just need recognition and, you know, some people really need a lot of praise. So I, I think that, that, you know, it's, it's, um, there are tactics to win those people over one by one. I, I think it's really important as, as a brand, as a company, when you look at who to support that, A, you do a deep dive, right? Like really get to know those organizations and make sure that they're the ones, you know, and sometimes bigger is not better, right? So you don't always have to go with the, you know, for a number of reasons. One, you, you may get lost in the mix if you uh, align yourself with a large conservation organization. And my recommendation there is if you're a smaller company, if you do align with the larger uh, 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 conservation organization, that you have a role there, that, that you're, you're engaging with one program, one area where you can, uh, you know, you can really get the most out of that and you can have the most effect in organization, right? Again, it's not the, you know, here's some, you know, um, here's some funds just so, you know, you can pay for your mailings this month. No, like uh, own a program, get involved. And that really helps everyone out. And, and, and in my opinion, you know, help helps your brand the most. So um, I, I would say that would be one. And, you know, I mean, the other thing is, is if you choose wisely of, uh, I think it's always good to go through and like, what are your core values as a company? And I mean, I can't stress this enough. This just can't be what the CEO thinks, right? A, a strong company will have the entire staff uh, go through the exercise of, you know, what do we believe in as a, as a company? And, and if, if you can come to some sort of consensus, then that lays the foundation for the, the type of philanthropy that you're going to be able to do effectively and authentically and that you're going to, that everyone there will engage in. And if you can do that, then you're well on your way to, to, you know, effectively, you know, influencing the world and creating a, a you know, a, a, a good workplace. So in my opinion, this is obviously these are all my opinions. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, no. Under, understood. Um, well, I think that, and, and I do want to be cognizant of, of your time, um, yeah. but I, th- I do think that's a, a positive note um, there. But before we before we go, um, mm-hmm. because this is the Sustainable Angler, I, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask a couple of fishing questions. Oh, sure. Of course. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Right. Too much business and conservation, not enough fishing. Makes, yeah, yeah. Makes me the dull boy. <laughs> we 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 we've gotta we we've gotta mix the fishing in with it, right? Oh you know? of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so so we'll we'll do a quick rundown on a couple things. Um yes. so favorite freshwater species on the fly. Oh boy. Uh uh oh it's this is like your your this is like uh No, so, this is Sophie's <laughs> choice here, man. Like this is I can't uh ah favorite freshwater species on the fly i mean it's it hovers somewhere between ah, gosh i mean because 
it's hard, right? Because I mean, Arapaima is freshwater, and like that—that that was, you know, fishing for those things is one of the most amazing experiences in my life, and um, you know, uh, not only because of the pride I had for the project and just the wonderful people that are down there that you know have become friends, um, but also because the fishing's really freaking fun, and it's hard. It's like fishing rolling tarpon. And it's, it's very hard to hook because they have this really tough crushing pallet and they suck the fish into the, that crushing pallet. And, um, and yeah, I'll go with that, but I feel a little remiss just because I've spent so much time chasing trout and I probably know them, uh, better than any other species that I fish for, but, but I'll say arapaima. All right. All right. Arapaima trout is, is coming in second. Yeah, now, close you, second. <laughs> you've got to know the, the, the follow-up is saltwater. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'd have to say I'm kind of a bonefish guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, um, I, I, first off, like, everything that happens before the eat is so much more important to me than the fight, right? So, like, tarpon are cool, like, that fight is great, and the jumping, and, like, you know, the eats are pretty cool and visual, but like, I just love slinking around. Oh boy, but redfish too. Boy, I like redfish because they'll get up into like, just the, the skinniest of skinny water. Um, and I, I like, you know what? I'm going to go redfish because I also like the resiliency of redfish, right? Like they can, you could drop them into a mud puddle and, uh, and I fish a lot of carp. I really love carp. And so I really like redfish because you can fish them, you, you know, you fish them the same way. And I, I say a redfish is like a carp that wants to eat. Um, right. So, yeah. But, but bonefish I love too, just because they're, you do find them in such, such beautiful places. And I mean, obviously we all have a little like permit tick in the back of our head, but you know, um, I, I, I'll never be rich enough to be a, a successful permit fisherman. <laughs> mean you bet um <laughs> but uh but yeah so i i'll you know i live in charleston so um yeah. are pretty near and dear to my heart too but i think it's um looking at you know bonefish and redfish and you know what's what i find similar especially if i'm on a flood tide out on a flat um uh-huh. is you know i mean you're you're stalking the fish i mean you see yeah. it and you see its tail here, water, you know, much murkier. Um, but it's that same thrill of, you know, look, it's, you know, it's there. Like, and, yeah. you know, easier said than done. All you have to do is put it right. In front of <laughs> right, right, right. Always easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's, it's, it also, you know, it's much easier to direct people from on top of a polling platform or, or, you know, sitting in the rower's seat than it is to execute, so. Right. Well, yeah, well, I wonder how many air traffic controllers are for pilots, so. (laughs) That's right. That's right. Good way to think about it. End to this episode of The Sustainable Angler. Special thanks to Peter Vandergrift and Costa Sunglasses. And if you like this episode, uh, don't forget to follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, and iTunes. And give us a like. Thanks and have a good one.